Welcome to the Mark Cameron Show. We have conversations with people making their mark, discover how they do it and what the future of their work is. This week, my guest is Ewan Gordon. Ewan is a marketing director and a coach. We're going to explore the world of advertising, millennials, leadership, mentoring. Thanks so much for joining us. Let us know what you think. All right. Well, we're here in Queen Street. It's you and Gordon. How you doing? I'm good, man. Yeah, I'm good. Good, good. We're um, sitting by the water and uh, there's probably some motorbikes cruising past outside. It's a good day. It's good to be in Queen Street. So always a joy to come see you. <laughs> Thanks for coming up, man. Uh, tell us about yourself. Who are you? Uh, I'm a director at uh, one of the leading ad agencies in Scotland. Um, we, have a, we have a lot of fun. We work across the third sector, public sector. Uh, commercial stuff do a bit of work for Heineken a lot of work for the Scottish government um, a lot of behaviour change right so I'm kind of shifting selling some beer <laughs> which is always good um, <laughs> selling the government selling some beer selling some government selling some beer it's great that we have we have this great kind of I, I always tell the story of having to split my mind I'll be in a in a meeting with the government tell trying to help people not drink as much and then I'll go straight to Heineken and try and sell more beer so I try not to criminalise myself too much but I've got to make some money yeah that's right but uh, but yeah so I work in um, account management so we uh, client service client servicing so we work with a lot with um, the relationship between the creative and uh, the strategy and the um, and just kind of helping the client follow that process all the way through so it's it's quite a lot of fun okay what what is that What, what is a relationship between client strategy people's ideas and executing them oh it's a, it's a lot of uh, hard work is what it is <laughs> so I, th- I think part of um part of our role is is helping people um understand that creativity doesn't always go down a line that you think it's going to go so mm. uh how a, a client wants something to be put across might not necessarily be as cold as what they think so by us putting a creative spin on it using some uh, insights from the from the audience it could potentially be that we're trying to stop people by drink drive by making a joke out of it, yeah. um, which is often a difficult sell to government. But the reality of the audience that we're trying to hit is that um, we need to be light uh, so that they pay attention and then get the message across at a later point. So um, it's that kind of uh, middleman work where we stand by the creative and trying to help the client buy into what we're attempting to do. Right. Um, and then the the other side of that is our planning input, which... Um, it's always really interesting. We'll go out, we'll do some user testing, we'll take a four or five creative routes and we'll, we'll go into the market and have a bit of banter around what works, what doesn't work, where's it hitting the mark, where's it missing the mark, and then we can kind of really hone down into something that will hopefully be very effective. This is cool. So in my head, um, advertising is still Mad Men. <laughs> <laughs> you, are, you are my Don Draper. <laughs> do you We're have office, spare yeah. shirts in your drawer at all times next to the Canadian club? <laughs> do you know what? There's, there's still this element of that that, is, that has remained. We work for um, our chairman is an old school, old days of advertising guy. And yeah. he buzzes about being in the office till three in the morning working on a pitch and all of us millennials just want to go home um, but it's a but there is there is that element of it of just kind of a bit of buzz and a bit of excitement around right if we have to stay up and then at some point an idea will click and that's what we sell in and we came up with it five minutes ago yeah um and uh, so there is there is that kind of element just without all the cash i think that this is thrown about in mad men yeah. <laughs> like so so why why did you get into this what what is it that your life to becoming um someone who sells beer and tries to stop people from <laughs> drinking beer it's a uh, i kind of fell into it to be honest I, when my first job out of school i worked um, for a property developers mm-hmm. and uh, i was an office junior so i, I made the tea for the guy who made the coffee yeah. um, and uh, <laughs> they were just really generous and they let me sit on loads of meetings and um, i asked to do the minutes so that i could just kind of take in as much as i could from all the different uh, departments that they had I, I spent loads of time with marketing um, and uh, the director of marketing at that point was a, a guy called Craig Hall, who was um, a friend of, of my folks mm. uh, from church, uh, which is how I got the job. Um, Handy. And then, <laughs> exactly. And then I, I left that, I went um, I went into youth work, so I did a degree in, in theology with youth work, uh, which um, was a bit of a dichotomy, but I always had this kind of part of me that, that loved the creative industry and trying to um, make people see things slightly differently and if we tweak something then that actually has a bigger impact down the line and it's all mm. about how we talk about things um, and so after it, I did youth work for about three years 
and then I was having chats with uh, with Craig anyway who because um, I was working at the church that he went to mm-hmm. uh, and uh, he said um, that they had a, a position um, at their branding agency who he worked for um, with his with his sister and uh, that's some it struck a chord in me and it was always something I was quite interested in um, and I've, I've got this thing about um, my brother in my best, best man speech for me said I'm a bit of an idiot because I just kind of jump into things and then figure out what happens afterwards uh, and, and so I did exactly what I always do and I jumped into it uh, and I loved it so I, wor- I worked from I worked from the bottom up and um, I worked on some cool stuff I worked for Heineken there as well mm-hmm. did some stuff for RBS we worked with uh, Regis Hair Salons in America right. we created the brand for Radisson Red which you might have seen in, oh, in yeah. Glasgow or okay. New York or Minneapolis yeah. um, so we created that and I was, I was a big part of that which was so much fun wow. um, and there was just kind of that element of um, people are going to see this and you've had an input in the strategy and the development of it and I, and I just find it so exciting and I moved over to the Union Advertising Agency um, after about three years. And that's where I, I started looking a bit more at the kind of commercial public sector end and dichotomy between the two. Mm. Uh, and uh, that's where you kind of get into the world of tendering and, <laughs> and yeah. pitching and, yeah. and that kind of real, that's where the real madman stuff um, is, <laughs> is the pitching and coming up with an idea and just selling it into someone. Right. Um, and that, that, was a, that was a whole load of fun. Uh, the tendering not so much that that's a lot of time and effort okay. but um that buzz you get when you win a bit of business yeah uh, it's just so exciting um and then the flip side of that is you're still creating messaging that someone's going to see that's going to create a perception that's going to create um and a nudging someone that they're going to remember forever mm. um and how how does that work like because you'll see a totally uninteresting product that you could sell taps, I imagine, and make mm. them sound like they're going to be fairly life changing. How, what is the process of here is something that people want to get into people's perception? How do you get something into people's perception? It's all it's all about um, where you hit them. So the, there's this great um, the marketing industry is kind of split into a few different sections. You've got your um, above the line advertising, which is what you'll see on the telly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what will hit you with on on social media. There's your below-the-line advertising, which is your one-to-one engagements. So um, you might see people in town giving out samples and having mm-hmm. a chat with you about a product that they're trying to do. And that's your that's a really kind of key selling point. Um, you've got PR, which is basically just kind of getting your stuff in the press releases, getting mm-hmm. as much coverage as you possibly can. And then the kind of the key bit to all of this um, is your media buying. Um, so media buying is a is a great is a great business. There's a lot of strategy, there's a lot of kind of figuring out how things will work, and that splits your audience. So uh, as a as a, a young man, <laughs> Mark, I know that you spend a lot of time online. Yeah. I know that you spend limited time on TV. Yeah. So if I'm tra- trying, trying to hit you, we'll ditch the big money for the TV. I will find three or four ways that I can make you see the same thing at one right. time. Right. Um, and that that will usually be through uh, through Instagram. I might put a couple of Spotify ads out. Yeah. Um, I'll I'll hit you on websites where you're likely to kind of go and chill out. Um, and then you'll have seen that three or four times for a couple of seconds at a time mm-hmm. and immediately your brain will go to, oh, I saw that somewhere as soon as you see it somewhere else. Yeah. So um, that that kind of element, that kind of element is key. And then the other thing is, uh, as an audience insight, is what is it that these guys like? It, it could be something ridiculous. So the the new ad that's, that's really hot at the moment um, is uh, Brewdog. Yeah. I don't know if you've seen it. It's just a big white billboard and behind it says advert and they've stuck a can on the front and it's getting all kinds of coverage because they just stripped back everything that is advertising and they're like, this is an advert for our beer. Yeah. And it's, it's gone everywhere. It's on billboards in London, it's wow. on the TV. Um, and it's just that thing, advert, beer, buy my beer. And, it, and it's just this, just this amazing thing of, well, it, it relates to young men and it's, it's going to be super successful because they like beer and it's kind of a bit of a quirky ad. It's like, okay. Yeah. Um, and, and it works. So it's just kind of lining up all those things. And if all those things line up at the right point at the right time, then they end up being hugely yeah. successful. How, how do you get through the noise in a way that is like significant but not irritating? I w- our argument would be that if it's irritating, it's still done the same sure. job. Right. So um, there's this kind of no press is bad press kind of policy in advertising as well. And if, if something's annoyed you, it's still going to be in your mind. And actually, ultimately, it's probably not going to change your perception of buying it because you recognise it when you see it. Um, so there, there's there's that kind of part of it. But in terms of um, in terms of kind of really cutting through and, and pushing things forward, sometimes we'll, we'll look at a brand and we'll say, you're not in the right market 
or you don't look right for the market mm -hmm. and you'll get a complete brand change. One of my um, favorite things about this is the, is the whiskey industry. Mm. You and I are both big fans of. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the, one of my favorite whiskeys purely for their branding is Brew Claddagh mm. out, uh, yeah. out of Isla. And what they did was they looked at shelves in supermarkets and all bottles looked the same. Yeah. And all labels are a kind of dark color that have a nod to their heritage. Yeah. And um, especially in Isle, it's fiercely competitive. So what they did was, we're going to create a bottle that's bright blue yeah. with white, lighting, white yeah. writing on it. If you're looking at it right now, it does jump right over, yeah. And and immediately you're like, <laughs> great, 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 great. And your eye is, is drawn to it immediately. Wow. Um, bit of a modern twist on a very old whiskey. Yeah. Um, and uh, and it's huge. So th there's that element of, of cutting through where you just create something that's entirely different. Right. When it comes to um, one of our recent projects we worked on was um, for shortbread. And there's um, um, a brand I probably shouldn't say, whose <laughs> um, shortbread is, uh, you will see it absolutely everywhere that you go. Uh, and it looks exactly the same as yeah. all their shortbreads. Yeah. And it's at the very bottom of, of the pile in terms of, um, in terms of people buying it. And the only reason for that is because it sits at the bottom shelf in supermarkets and the top brand sits at the top. So if we were to um, create a deal where we, um, we did a bit of research and we suggested, well, why don't you do a trial? Yeah. You pay Tesco a bit of money and you get that shifted up and see what happens to your sales. Now, um, there's a there's that element of it where it's not just about marketing and advertising, it's spotting about differences in the mm -hmm. market and doing a bit of research and being like, actually, in terms of user perception, if that's at a higher level, you'll probably sell a lot more. Yeah. So is there something wrong with your product? Is there something wrong with your advertising? Or are you just not being savvy enough about how you're approaching it? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that part, that's all part of our role and how we kind of find the right thing to do. Because so, uh, the, the example of the whiskey is um, it's a pretty impressive one in that Brooklada positioned itself so differently to mm -hmm. the point where, like, do people taste things differently? Do they experience them different, differently based on how they look? Does the shape of the bottle, the size of the bottle change someone's taste? Yeah, totally. So we've just done a, we've just done a bit of branding for um, Sky Gin. Which, oh, is, yeah. which is just coming out. We've, we've okay. just created the, the bottling and the packaging for them. And 90% uh, of what we've done is, what does this bottle feel like in your hands? How, if, you, if you're if you looking at it on a shelf and then you actually go and pick it up, do we have something on it that's a bit bobbly? Do we yeah. change it? Um, because all that will really happen is, and my wife, Cara, is the worst for this. We, we went into um, Tesco the other day and we yeah. like, I need a new gin. And she's like, that one's going to look great on our shelf. <laughs> and that was all she cared about. Yeah. And I was, I was like, I literally spent my life selling to you, particularly <laughs> because I can, I can manipulate you so easily just by what someone looks like. Um, but the where where we're shifting now in the the department that I work for uh, in the union at the moment is um is field and experiential marketing. Mm -hmm. So all of that is about how does someone experience what we're offering? What is it that we're doing that when they touch it, taste it, see it, feel it, all combines into one thing of your entire brand experience? And right. um, brands that are doing this really well are flying. Um, Tesla is a really good example of that okay. so Tesla everything you do when they get in the car is designed to be kind of like Apple super easy super user friendly yeah. and the cutting edge of technology Yeah. and so everything that you do in that car you expect it to do something that's happy yeah. and cool and it does well, it's amazing I sat in a Tesla in the shop the other day and to change the flow of the air vents, mm -hmm. uh, which isn't even a massive problem, like no, no one's really complaining <laughs> about that, are they? But they go and change that anyway. So you go on the screen and up comes a little picture of the airflow and the dash and you just trace your finger on the direction you want it to go and you can feel it move as you trace your finger across the screen. Like it was unnecessary, but we didn't even know we needed that change. Yeah. But the experience is great. And did you love it? Yeah, completely. And you'll do it because yeah. it's yeah. So and so everything about that is, is is just massive. One of the, uh, my my uh, Cara got a new phone the the other day, and uh, I said with the new iPhones instead of there's no home button, mm -hmm. and if you hold the lock button like you normally would to turn it off, it just switches to what would you like to ask Siri. So I said, have you tried to turn off your phone yet? And she went, no, I'll do it now. And she was like, oh, that didn't work. I'll try this. And then immediately what she tried worked and she's like that's immediately she said that's why i love apple right because everything that i do i th everything that i think apple's already thought of okay and, and it works right. so it's, it's really intuitive um, if i were to give her an android phone uh, she would just look at it in disgust and it's, it's not because um she's a, a um she's so loyal to apple that she must have the most expensive thing and it's cutting edge uh -huh. and trendy it's because it works the way that she works yeah and so 
all of that is done based on user insight and and extensive testing and yeah. people finding out what what it is that right, that right. makes that product stand out from the market. Because they seem to be doing a shift from here's a incredible product, incredible product, and it's great to use to come and be part of an experience. Mm-hmm. Like they, they seem really upfront about that. The stores now have the genius bar at the front and the people at the front when you come in. So you're meeting folks instantly and more the product is the second layer mm-hmm. again to feel like you're part of something and to, like we're trying to identify ourselves with yeah. it constantly right and and actually they're, they're running into a very interesting marketing problem uh, in the next i would say year two years so with their new phone it's so expensive that the mm-hmm. one of their biggest markets china it dropped off entirely they lost a huge proportion of their yeah. business um so what now do they do they're, not, they're going to keep making new phones because it's what they do. They love innovation. They love to be on the cutting edge. Mm-hmm. And so they'll keep doing that. The price isn't going to come down mm-hmm. because it's going to cost them a lot of money to keep making these phones. So what is it from a marketing and a messaging perspective that they do to make it clear that their phones are better than everyone else's? The camera doesn't really set them apart anymore. Right. Android phones uh, have great cameras. The, the functionality most certainly does, but are people willing to pay that extra money for yeah. the brand new phone? So what is it that they're going to do um, to kind of set themselves apart and to reestablish themselves as the leader in the market? Uh, and that, that's going to be really fascinating yeah. to see how they kind of are able to push that forward. Do you think they've got anything clear that from your seeing? Not, not from what we've seen. And I think that it was um, rightly or wrongly a surprise to them to lose as much of the market as right. they did okay. and they didn't seem to have a strategy to then deal with that yeah um i have to say i'm a huge fan of apple i've got the latest phone and, and i spent all that <laughs> money on it and, and and i absolutely love it but at this point i'm thinking that was quite an expensive phone yeah i'll probably switch to a sim only contract at the end of this right. and keep the phone and, and yeah. to extend the life of it a bit more whereas normally i would just every two years i would just rotate it and move up to the next model yeah so um if I'm thinking that as well, I wonder what now they've kind of got, got in their heads to, yeah. to kind of shift that Because the, the competition now with Huawei and yep. everywhere that, that that's going suddenly means there's there's new pressure on like all these companies mm-hmm. hearing about like the rate of um, technology and development in China is, is phenomenal and it's overtaking a lot of what people expected to... Uh, and then there's the questions. I mean, it's a whole other... Um, field of the, the state influence in that and the the direction that these organizations are going mm-hmm. but how you know how then going into the future and seeing this how do these companies start to work in a way to get advantage over each other when you're now looking at uh, Chinese influence that's just so significant with this how do you get Apple Android like where do they go to develop where do they go to give people better experience i think it's a really interesting dilemma i, th- I think probably um what will happen is there'll actually be a bit of a technology crash okay uh, in certain areas so if i'm looking at the table now we've got we've got a tablet we've got a laptop and we've got a phone all on the table mm-hmm. at one time mm-hmm. and ultimately we're going to use each one of those at different points over the course of today so what happens if the tablet excels itself a little bit laptops improve their quality and actually a phone becomes a phone mm-hmm. so does does do we get to a point where actually people think I don't actually need my phone to do all this? I've got a tablet, or I can get a tablet, and yeah. I've got a laptop, and that will do all this. And actually, I just need to make phone calls, speak to people, and use WhatsApp. What is it that um what what would that look like? And I think that's potentially where things might be heading. Right. Um. Is that to separate yourself out? You actually go back to the core of what something is and what it's supposed to do. Right. Entirely, entire simplicity. Right. I remember in two thousand and nine. I got I got a new phone and I brought it home and it had a Technicolor screen and my dad was like whoa do you, do you know and then uh, ten years later and my phone's a laptop more or less yeah. I don't actually need anything else yeah. um, so we're now recording this yeah. on your phone on my because phone. Uh, I couldn't get my Mac <laughs> working with either enough space or something so. but we have options so do you remember before like what would have happened if we hadn't been able to do that it would be like, gone for okay. football yeah we we'd, yeah we'd gone for a pint or at ten in the morning whatever time yeah, it is you'd have so. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think um, I think that that's that's a really kind of exciting time yeah. to come, and yeah. and also the possibility of um, to kind of to take it back to marketing is um, at what point do we scale back what we're trying to achieve um, in terms of splash in the market, mm. and do we just step back and be like, what is the simplest way for me to do this yeah. that is actually just going to set us apart beyond anything else, and that'll be 
I think that'll be super exciting. Right. Because what seems to be coming is just like more information, mm-hmm. more bandwidth. You know, 5G is going to kick this whole thing up. So where images were revolutionary to see once now, high definition video is going to come. There's just going to be more bandwidth, totally. more room to throw stuff down the tunnel towards us. What What do you think is going to happen to people like how are people's brains going to have to adapt to take in that much is mark do you think marketing is going to simplify to get around that overload or are people how are people going to develop and evolve with it i think i think people will eventually develop and evolve so the average time that you've got now to take in a piece of online advertising is about three seconds mm-hmm. uh, my opinion is that will probably half with the amount of time you've got. What is increasing is people watching videos all the way through. Yeah. So what used to happen is you'll have seen the ads on YouTube where you can skip after five seconds. Yeah. More and more now people aren't because uh, in my opinion, it's a bit of a break from having things thrown at you. Huh. You just sit and you'll watch it and you'll take it in and then, and then you'll kind of move on. So what is it? I think that part of things will evolve exponentially where we'll create new cool videos that can do these amazing things. I think um, VR and augmented reality mm-hmm. are going to take a huge role in this. Eventually you'll have something popping out your phone and speaking to you like in Star Wars, which I think we're all really excited about. Yeah. Um, and then that will really kind of be the cutting edge. But I think people will eventually evolve to take in so much more than we think we're able to. Um, but having said that, I'm not sure that's entirely the right way to go where we just keep throwing things at mm-hmm. it until something sticks. Yeah. I think what will probably happen is um, there'll be a resurgence of outdoor advertising. So billboards when we could come back. Right. There'll be some funky six sheets on the sides of um, bus stops that'll do something really cool. There's a great um, experiential advert for um, Coca-Cola. Right. Where they made, uh, they made a new bottle that had the grips on it. You remember it had the bubbles on it? Yeah. Um, so that you could hold it easier. Yeah. And... Uh, they made these bus stop sides that had Velcro on them. So you'd lean on them and you're texting and then, and then you'd go to get on the bus and you'd be stuck to it and you'd have to peel yourself off. <laughs> okay. And it was like made for grip. And that was the Coca-Cola line. Right. And it was just amazing. Um, and so I think those kind of things will be what kind of shift people's perception. It'll be more about the one-to-one engagements right. and how you get that. So maybe we'll be out in the streets and rather than on your phone. <laughs> yeah. And we'll try and actually engage on a human level again. Right. Back in the physical... Yeah, one of, one of my first accounts when I, when I worked in advertising was Miller Homes. And uh, one of the amazing insights we had for that is house buying is one of the last real um, uh, opportunities left where you have to speak to someone mm-hmm. in order to buy it. So um, when we were in we were in the States over Christmas and uh, they have these, um, <laughs> it was in Nashville, and they have these basically car vending machines. It's literally full of cars and it goes up. And you can buy a car, having never driven it, never spoken to anyone. What? And it just kind of, you buy it, it pops out the bottom and you can drive off if you want. So you just... It's nuts. Credit card. Yeah. You buy a car and that's it. That's and it was absolutely crazy. Um, so if we're getting that way, at some point you'll be able to buy a house from somewhere and never having spoken to anyone. And yeah. Just get on with it um, online. But there is this element of you spend more time thinking about it, you spend more time looking at it because you have to speak to someone and ask all the right questions and get this thing across. So for for anything, I think we're probably moving that way. So um, the famous Carlsberg billboard where they had a beer tap on it. Right. Yeah. Try it, see what you think. Yeah. Um, I think we're moving back a bit more towards that. Let, let's um, taste and see, let's experience rather yeah. than yeah. see and go. Right. Um, so that I think there'll be a slowdown right. in, our concept, in, our, um, in how we consume right. information. So you've got loads of um, information coming at people and you're talking about um, millennials who work in this way and there's um, this millennial thing has had a lot of airtime recently and the snowflake generation or the most creative generation or whatever it is or just the same as every other generation who were between 20 and 30 and figuring out life. What What is your experience, your take on this? This is something you're pretty big on is engaging millennials um engaging generations really successfully in yeah. workplace talk to us about that what does that look like hey it's been a yeah it's been really interesting for me for a while i think simon Sinek kind of made it blow up even more when, yeah. when he came kind of came out with this, this short interview um and one of the things that i find really interesting is, is watching kind of millennials now move into positions of leadership mm-hmm. uh, so i'm probably smack in the middle of the millennial generation and um, one of the one of the things that i found is there's an expectation of millennials, but there's also 
um, on as in from companies to millennials, and there's also an exp- expectation of millennials to companies, mm-hmm. and for some reason they kind of miss in midair. Um, and it's just result, results in a kind of a lot of frustration. So I think we're probably in the middle of um, of a shift towards things like make millennials take flexible working, being able to work at 10 o'clock at night and show yeah. up at 11, you know, all, all those kind of things, which I think are really good. Um, but I think the companies that have been able to shift quite effectively towards that way are the, the startups and the SMEs who are quite small and nimble and can navigate mm-hmm. um, these these um, fads, for want of a better word, or channels quite easily. Yeah. Where um, I think we have a problem is the slightly bigger SMEs that are owner-led um, that need to try and adapt slightly, um, but do it a bit faster. So these um, we're in the middle of this at the moment where we've introduced someone that half day off for your birthday, yeah. which is a small gesture and actually not great compared to the rest of the market, okay. but is a step in the, a step in the right direction. Um, we've got a slight problem um, in terms of uh, agencies, particularly advertising agencies, where you need to be around when the client's around. So um, if they're in nine to five, we're in nine to five because we need to be able to speak to them and deal with them in that kind of way. So the flexible working arm disappears. Right. Um, that's fine. But what else can we do to kind of uh, work through that? The problem we have here is that um, with these owner-led businesses, what they find is, well, I had to work 14 hours a day my right. whole career. So why do these guys get X, Y, Z? There's that kind of resentment and, yeah. and potentially judgment. Um, and the frustration um, towards millennials seems to be um, a bit of entitlement. Um, they haven't earned this. They don't deserve this. What am I getting out of them that is um, warrants that investment? So uh, part of the, the, the thing that I've been thinking about now is there's a, there's a bit of a two-way traffic, I think, in this period of transition. One of them is that companies invest a lot more in millennials that are coming in in terms of training, um, mm-hmm. opportunity, uh, and uh, the ability to kind of really find what, what makes them tick and what they're interested yeah. in. The expectation I would put on a, a millennial is actually to drive that and not to be um, on okay. the receiving end of it. So one of the many conversations that I've had um, uh, since since becoming a director with a number of different millennials at entry level and mid level, is you um, you don't offer me any training, and mm. my response is always I'm very happy to offer you training. What would you like trained in? Right. And there's never an answer until uh, we go away, okay. think about it, and come okay. back. So I think that one of the things that we can do is, is to try and push people to take ownership of their own development mm-hmm. with the support of a company. So if you come to me and you want trained in coding because that's yeah. something that you're quite interested in and you think it will help you understand things from a client perspective and be able to advise more effectively yeah. no problem i will send you one a coding course right and i'll give you the budget to do that right because you've taken responsibility for it and you're owning that right we get the benefit of um someone who has a bit more expertise in the building you get the benefit of being trained and it looks great in your cv and we kind of meet in the middle i think one of the mm. the expectation that a company is going to drive your career mm-hmm. is um it's not unreasonable because it's been done. Um, so my, my father-in-law works for Glenmore Jay Whiskey. Very helpful. Um, <laughs> and uh, for his whole career, he's been able to join companies and basically just be sucked up. So this, my parents' generation of the first ones in their families to graduate from university, yes. started a company entry level and they just kind of flew right up to direct yeah. level by the age of 28, 29. Yeah. And then you stay with that company for your whole life. Right. And you eventually end up in the CEO or the director of operations or, or whatever. That doesn't really happen anymore. And uh, these um, the the people um, these people they tend to frown upon millennials who have maybe jumped jobs every couple of years, mm-hmm. um, and they think well they're flaky they're not going to commit to us why would they? The reason that millennials do that is because it's actually now the only way to move up. Your career stack it gets a bit stagnant, particularly yeah. in smaller businesses or even in in corporates. If you um, aren't able to shift jobs to move up a level or shift jobs to just get a slightly bigger salary then what will happen is you will have such a slow career progression and you almost become unemployable because why have you been at that level for so long a period of time? Without progressing. Yes. But if you move, then you're able yeah. to navigate up. Yeah. So um, it's very rare for someone to kind of move up levels. I've been quite fortunate in my time with the union. I've moved up three levels mm-hmm. in three years. That's unheard of. Right. I've not seen that from anywhere else. So I think that we need to kind of shift away from that yeah, kind of frowning and, and understand the, the world and the industry as yeah. it is at the moment. Um, but having said all that, I'm, I'm quite defensive about millennials, but um, I do think that we need to be um, careful because ultimately it's millennials that are going to take over 
um, from, from the people now and are okay. going to move up into very senior positions. Yeah. So if we're very negative about it now, then the, what what does your company look like when you move on if you're the owner of it? Yeah. Um, so I think there, there needs to be an element of, of mentorship and a bit of a, a two-way conversation. Yeah. And that's part of the, the career I'm kind of moving into is helping people have real conversations yeah. that um, actually are revolve around um, being productive. So moving forward, pushing into something new, yeah. um, actually helping each other move forward rather than kind of being negative. Be stuck in this. Un- unsaid. Yeah. <laughs> in the mire of the unsaid. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's certain spheres, it seems, that um, the idea of just going in and jumping up the ladder was, was one old way. Talking to some folks in the coding or engineering spaces mm-hmm. and they're saying the nature of our interviews are now changing with a lot of millennials because they're now coming in and they're interviewing us yeah. and they're saying hey what are you going to offer me because down the road if I go with them I get this much more money and they have um, a gym membership mm-hmm. that I get for free and 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 there's this change I don't think I don't know if it's entitlement or if it's actually a belief in capability and confidence and there's a better distinction to be made there than they're the entitled generation, but are many millennials just more confident in the training they have received and how they articulate it? Totally, yeah. I I love someone who backs themselves. Yeah. And I think I think that's a that's a huge appeal yeah. um in, in any businesses. I'm I'm gonna come and I'm gonna work really hard for you. And I think that is that's a real millennial trait, is hard yeah. work. Yeah. I think that's something that is often um, misunderstood by the desire to I want to come in at 11 yeah. but I'm going to be here till midnight yeah. and, I, and I'm going to work really hard and yeah. when you come in at 9 I'm going to have done everything that you wanted me to do right. and then some right. they will work their guts out for you yeah. um, and I think that that's, that's a really important important element yeah. but I think where um, we can sometimes get a bit blinded is, is like that thing you say down the road they're offering me um, a gym membership and uh, maybe a share in a company car yeah. or um, and all this and all this kind of great I can leave at 12 on a Friday yeah. because we're going to shut the office and you know we'll do beer runs every Friday night yeah. um, and all that stuff is really great but I think what we can sometimes lose is all jobs um, that you'll, you'll probably apply in a certain sector and all jobs kind of look the same and so you just look at the perks but where which company are you actually going to be happiest working for are you going to be able to contribute the most mm-hmm. to and then eventually be able to get the most out yeah. and that might be something that actually doesn't have any additional perks yeah but the opportunity is huge right so the person above you is left they're not replacing them and we want you know you can come in and make within a couple of years so i think there's this almost this element of where we're quite a risk adverse um generation in the sense that what but not in a traditional sense of what offers me the most financial security Hmm. we're just like well i do back myself but i like all these perks and i want to have that so they i've i've made um three career two career changes uh in the mm-hmm. last kind of 10 years um and all of them have been either a, a salary drop or a sideways step um to right. try and kind of move ahead and just look for the opportunity right and um i will, will come on i'm sure to talk about kind of things that help you kind of grow and develop but yeah. um i can't emphasize enough how much reading is helpful yeah there's so these like amazing people who've just written all their thoughts down from massively successful yeah. careers and, and leadership and development and um and just lessons in life that if you read about, then you can just spot these great opportunities that yeah. you know you, you might not see. Um, one of them, um, I'm a huge follower of his, is, is John Maxwell. Yeah. Um, and he's just written a book called, um, it was not just written a book, he's written a book called uh, The 15 Laws of Growth. And that is all about um, this thing that I was talking about, about taking ownership for your own development. Mm-hmm. What are you doing every day that's going to help you grow? What, are you, what kind of disciplines are you putting in place that are going to help you develop right. as a person? Right. And ultimately, it's that investment in yourself that's going to make you appealing to yeah. a, a wider market. And it's not, it's your responsibility and it's, it's you putting emphasis on yourself rather than expecting right. a company or someone else to invest in you. there's never been more of an opportunity for this, has there? Like, there's never been this many books, talks online, podcasts available of some of the greatest thinking on this stuff like compiled package delivered straight to you i I think like it's it's so obvious that it's there to grab and it is a sign in someone if they're just like they get fired up about development pushing themselves way more than blaming education or or blaming a lack of opportunity is there's more opportunity now than ever to catch it yourself it's massive you know if you you don't want to read the book 
sign up to Audible. Yeah. It's seven pounds a month and you get a credit every month. That's a book a month that you can work through and, and just listen to while you're on the bus, on the train, yeah. in your car, um, walking to and from work. Yeah. And all, it's just absorption of information yeah. that's so readily available for you. Yeah, yeah, Podcasts yeah. like this are fantastic because it's just these fantastic thinkers being asked the questions that you want to ask yeah. and you you can download that and yeah. use it. And I think we're, one of the... Um, I know we've talked a lot about the amount of information that flies at us. And I think one of the greatest assets we can have is discernment of information. That's, what that's huge. applies to us? What do we actually let soak in and what do we let wash off? What, yeah. where, where are we kind of moving? Because if we just try and take in everything, we're going to end up with little bits that aren't actually all that right. helpful. So how do you develop the discernment of information? That sounds like one of the, like next to tying your shoelaces for the coming age, that would totally. be a really useful skill. Discernment of information. I, th- I, think, I think that comes from um, knowing your direction. Okay. Where where do you try and get to? What is it you want to do? I want to be the CEO of a business. Great. Um, what kind of things do you need to do? Who do you need to listen to? Yeah. Is that just CEOs? Do you need maybe a mentor? Um, at what level do you get a mentor? If you're uh, an entry level, do you need a mentor that's a CEO? Or do you need a mentor that's maybe two levels above yeah, you? Right. That can just kind of push you on through your levels and yeah, help yeah. you kind of uh, get through all that. Right. And I think um, speaking to people is something that you're a huge fan of. You love you love speaking to people. Like, you'll ask questions all day. And, and I think that's a huge asset. Um, so I think um, following and speaking to people like you who ask questions and, and will just say, well, I've spoken to this person and they say this and, and they say this for you. I think this is particularly relevant. So right. someone else who can almost discern that for you, who, who knows you and, and is committed to your success and to your development. I think that's, that's really huge. So um, I think I think part of that is including people on your journey rather than just doing it yourself. Yeah. Someone who knows you, knows what you tick, knows your goal and is committed to your success. Yeah. Why, why is that a passion in you? Because it does fire you up when you think about people <laughs> going this direction. Like it seems like marketing or, or the youth work thing was an expression of that. Like what's the thing in you that says, I want to get people fired up about what they are fired up for that's a magic question um i, th- I think for me it's it's about releasing people in their potential right. so one of the things that would keep me off at night is thinking about someone who gets to the age of 75 and is like i have so much more to give i'm i'm gutted mm. my my grandfather's a bit like that right so he feels like he um didn't push himself enough in life and didn't ask enough questions and didn't explore things and i feel really sad for him He's doing it now. He has a library in his house. He's just absorbing oh, information. Wow. Okay. He's, he's, um, he's 81. Um, oh, and he's just cool. absorbing all this information because he wants to do it now. And that, I think that's great. But yeah. Imagine if he'd done that at 25. Right. He needs what, a podcast. Yeah, he needs it. Honestly, that'd be, that'd be hilarious. You should go speak to my grandfather. That'd be really funny. Um, what, what, would that, what, would his, what would his life have looked like? What would his contribution yeah. have looked like? What would other people have learned from him and developed from him? And, and what would they now look like? I think there's such a, a great movie, which is on my uh, Too Sad to Ever Watch Again list, is, um, is Pay It Forward, right. where okay. you, just, like, you take three people in and then they help three people and then they help three people and all of a sudden this network of people are just doing great and wonderful things and yeah. has expanded so um one of the, one of the things i'm really passionate about is is mentorship so i'm, I'm an industry mentor for um the marketing society in scotland mm-hmm. and that's just helping people get ahead mm. in what they're trying to do and most of my conversations is not about you know you need to go back and do a master's degree in marketing or go and study advertising right. it's what do you want to do right and, and what makes you happy and what makes you tick and let's help you get to that point of finding out what makes you tick if you yeah. don't know yet. That, that's totally cool. Um, and what I think we'll find is that we just get loads of people lined up in different industries who yeah. are not just passionate about advancing their career, but doing something that's going to make a difference and, and a contribution. Right. And what do you get out of that for yourself? I get energy out of that. Right. So one of the, um, I'm a huge introvert. <laughs> so people drain me. <laughs> um, but I love How spending time with people. I'm, I'm hanging in. <laughs> Keep talking about this, I've got all day. Um, so I, um, I get drained quite easily by people. I love people and I love spending time with people. And it's unfortunate that I'm just kind of wired that way where <laughs> they drain my energy. But um, my dad calls people um, energy hoovers. <laughs> so it's totally true. Like all of them? They're totally. All okay. people are energy hoovers. My mum is included in that. <laughs> now he takes herself away on holiday for an hour just to be by himself. Um, so I think that um, that, that is um, me... Uh, talking about these things it gives me energy and doesn't suck it mm-hmm. and that for mm-hmm. me is a real sign that i'm kind of going in the right way and yeah. I'm, I'm living in um what buzzwordy is my flow 
um, yeah. what makes me tick and, and, and what releases me and my potential as well. Yeah. Um, and for me, I can read endless books about this. I can listen to endless podcasts. Yeah. I can listen to yeah. endless audiobooks. And all it does is make me excited and happy and feel like I can digest information yeah. to other people. So. And great. how when right so you're you get that fired up and you get into the energy and you you get people into their area of desire and passion. Um, one of the things that you love seeing and that you're you're figuring out just now is how do you get people fired up into their passion for all of their life? So people get stoked about their work and they could throw everything at that, but then you talk about that integration of family of hobbies of all the other stuff. How how do you get people wrapped up in that as well that's that's huge i think i think that is something for for this next uh, generation for the next 20 years it's, it's going to be massive right so i am um, I'm, I'm a dad for the first time yeah. to uh to little alfie your godson yeah, yeah. um who um who, who we love very much and yeah. that's that's just been this fantastic adventure of moving from being almost entirely kind of career focused to You've yes. got a family now you're in, so what do you do with your time? Your your time becomes so much more valuable yeah. and, and organizing that in the right way becomes huge. Um and then and then in amongst that there the you and how are you developing um and how are you growing mm-hmm. and how are you making time for that. So there's almost like four or five pockets of, yes. of time that you need to start splitting off in your life and, and organizing and dedicating the appropriate amount of energy and right. and um and ability to. So um for me uh it, it looks like a few different ways. Uh, firstly, it's identifying what makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Um, my family is part of that. Don't worry. <laughs> it's uh, identifying what I'm trying to achieve uh, yeah. in my work life. Um, and there's that um, age-old saying of, are you going to stand at death's door and wish you spent more time at work? Um, maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah. it's, it, it depends on what you like your job. There's some people I know I think they'd be like, yeah, actually. Yeah, cause... I did. Yeah. <laughs> this sucks, yeah. <laughs> um, so, um, and, and kind of what does all that look like? And if I, can, if I can figure that out for me, then I think I can help other people do that. Um, I think it's something that I'm still kind of wrestling with and working on. Uh-huh. Um, but working with um, one of the people I've spent a great amount of time with at the moment is Jim McNeish. Um, and he's uh, a firm believer of if you're going to teach it, you need to have done it. Mm. Um, and so me doing it now is kind of me working up to being able to kind of uh, to kind yeah. of teach it. But personally for me, I've I've got this new routine for the last um, couple of months where I now have breakfast at home instead of at work. Right. And I get up a bit early yeah. in the morning and I sit and I have breakfast at home and I read my Bible for half an hour. Right. And that's huge for me. I feel I feel relaxed and rested and ready to go into the day rather yeah. than caning it to work. Yeah. Eating my yeah. breakfast while I'm reading emails and replying to people and picking up the phone and yeah. and sorting out kind of who's on sick leave or um all this kind of stuff. And I then feel rested and calm and ready to approach my day. Mm. Um that's my that's my me time. I then I work a bit more of a nine to five thirty now mm-hmm. when it used to be kind of seven till seven. Yeah. Um I come home, uh, I make dinner for Cara and Alfie. Mm-hmm. Um, I give Alfie a bath. Yeah, and then you know maybe we we'll go to bed early, or yeah. the case of Thursday or on Wednesday night when I was writing a tender, I would then do work. Yeah, um, for another couple of hours, so um, those kind of things um are a real balance. The the one thing I, I would I'd say, and um, this might disagree with John Maxwell, who I've just really picked up a second ago, <laughs> is that disciplines are great, if you but if you spend too much time and flog yourself over the disciplines that you have. You're, you're just kind of building yourself up for feeling a bit guilty. Yeah. So Thursday, I had to be in particularly early to submit the tender that I've been writing. So I changed my morning routine and I just went straight to work and I worked for a few extra hours. Yeah. And then I, I came home and did my usual thing and then went back to it on Friday morning. I didn't flog myself about that. Yeah. I had work to do and that's important as well. Yeah. And uh, you have a responsibility to do the best you can um, and basically whatever you try and put your mind to. Right. Um, and that and that was great. And normally I'm a you know me, I'm quite a guilty person. I carry things with me. Um so I can probably tell you all like eight times I've been in real trouble in my life and like so you should really stop doing that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, do, do I, it's it's re- it's really difficult. And I and I take things super personally. So whether it's a you know, you're like you and you're singing a bit off key when you were leading worship the other day, I'd be like, Oh, that cup is so deep. Do you, do you know what I mean? Whereas all you're saying is you need to work on that a little bit and that's great. I'm committed, I'll help you do it if you want. That kind of thing it's said sure. with total love. Sure. And I take that personally, which is ridiculous. Absolutely right. ridiculous. Um so working on kind of figuring myself out allows me to kind of release myself in a bit yeah. of potential there yeah. within that. Well, especially with the disciplines thing, because if if a discipline is gonna create a really positive state that you you remain in or some traits that show up really easily 
it's like how quickly can you get to those maybe this is a lower level way of understanding discipline but if it has a positive outcome if the only way you can get into that state or get that peace or get that trait is by performing a discipline perfectly Mm -hmm. then it doesn't seem that useful as a discipline surely there has to be that flexibility and enough that it builds up in your mind that you can very quickly activate that sense of I've had my time you know maybe I've got three minutes in the morning but I spent three minutes with a clear head breathing and and can you get just as much benefit from that as the days where you do get 30 minutes or um or do it without the guilt hey because it it does seem with the information overload with the the integration of work and life and passion Mm -hmm. I, I think that is the way it's not this balance of two things on a seesaw like your life is only your work and your family mm-hmm. uh, when you get the integration moving how do you um, find peace in that when things are chaotic and when things don't go to your plan totally yeah I think I know that you're a, you're a huge fan of mindfulness and I think one of the one of the great things about that is that we both use the calm app yeah and one of the great things about that is so how much time do you have yeah how much time do you have to be calm and like cool yeah I'll, I'll do that all day yeah, like, yeah. that's fine this is how much time i have today tomorrow i might have an hour today i've got five minutes so uh-huh. let's uh-huh. just spend a bit of time kind of being productive and using that yeah. and i think the um life's never simple every day is going to look a little mm-hmm. bit different um and i think the uh, the integration kind of as you as you mentioned is um it's just massive it, it's it's really huge and I think it's, a, it's a challenge for for anyone and everyone and, and it always will be um but if if you're doing my chance to you would be if you're doing things that you love, then it becomes much simpler. Mm. If you work in a job that, that you hate, your morning routine, um, if you have one, will never quite set you up for it because you're just going to be, going to work being absolutely guided. Right. And then your time at home will be really precious to you and you want to make the most of it because you don't want to get up the next morning to go and <laughs> do, do you know? Yeah. Um and I and I and I've been there and I've I've made made some changes recently that um have a cost changes usually do have a cost but what i benefit from that is the ability to maybe integrate my life a bit better so i think if you when you find something that that you you really want to do when you're home you're home when you're in the morning you're just actually prepping yourself and getting ready for the day and then you're going in to do something that you really enjoy yeah so in um, september i'm moving over to work with with jim mcneish who who i mentioned as a leadership and development consultant Um, what that looks like for me at the moment, I'm not. I'm not quite sure. We're mm-hmm. Working on, um, kind of what business I can I can look in and bring in. Um, but I think there's a you're involved as well, and mm-hmm. we'll, we'll all have um different angles that we'll probably approach it from, and right. who we want to speak to, and what we want to do. And I think there's something really exciting about the the change that can happen through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me the the millennial leaders thing is something that I'm really quite quite keen to yeah. to push into, but probably more likely to be of helping um leaders of businesses now know how to bring on millennial leaders yeah rather than working with millennial leaders to kind of pull through which which i probably do in my spare time anyway just for, <laughs> just for fun because I'm, I'm like that um so i i think there's something there's something quite exciting um about that and and kind of the part of the, the quake model which is um which is jim's business is helping people have the right conversations that allow real vulnerability mm. and the challenge i think particularly in the business that i'm in is mm. uh, creating a space that allows to people to be vulnerable that allows you to relate to people in a better way mm-hmm. for a productive relationship now creating a culture that does that is actually a real challenge mm. um, and something that I've, I've tried quite a lot over the last kind of few years to kind of bring in um but we because we're a business that bills by the hour, we're a business yes. that everything that we do needs to be accounted for. Right. We're a business that if you make a mistake, it costs us money. So what is it um, that we need to do to create a space where it's okay to make mistakes? Yeah. And that's huge for millennials. Right. Or any entry level now. Anyone that comes into business now, people, we're starting to hire people who are born in 2000. Nuts. Um, so <laughs> um, when we employ these people, they're going to make mistakes. And that's great. Yeah. If they learn from them, that's fantastic. If you make the same mistake five times over, you're probably in the wrong business um, or you're just not paying enough attention to what you're doing. Yeah. Um, but um, creating that kind of culture space, um, I think, is, is something really big. And that's something where I think Quake is going to play a really 
brilliant role. Great. Yes, it'll be part of um, enabling people to have the right conversations, but I think there's also almost this change management mm. thing where mm. we don't do any of that work, but we work with leaders to kind of help them push through it. Mm. Mm. Um, and that for me gets really exciting. Yeah. How, how do we help you restructure your relationships yeah. not your business your business is your business we do know way more about it than i do but how do we help you restructure your mindset and the mindset of your exec team to allow these cultures where everyone within it flourishes to their full potential yeah and then what's coming after that because like you, there's the millennial thing which is getting integrated and there's a lot of opinion then millennials you, you know like we're we're gonna hit this point in 30 years time where there'll be two generations beneath and all, I presume all the same complaints and chat and opportunity comes out. What what comes after this? That's a that's a really great question. Um, I th- I think after that there's um there's a great book uh, called the Fourth Generation which mm. you told me to read. Yeah. Um, and that basically tracks um themes right. um, and generational shifts. So it implies that there's essentially a cycle. Yeah. And we will come back around to something where we've seen it in history. Yeah. And I think at that point, we get to a point of learning from the past rather than figure things out as we go. Yeah. And it won't be the same. Mm. Only verbatim technology will play a huge role in that. Okay. Because things, things will change it. Things will be different. But at that point, how do we actually use history to inform the present yes. and the future? Yeah. Um, rather than, okay, well, millennials now have iPhones. What do we do? <laughs> um, <laughs> but actually, like, well, this, this actually this seems quite familiar. Yeah. Um, how did that generation deal with it? That's interesting. Yeah. Let's try and apply that now. And how might that look now? And yeah. I think that's an even that's an even bigger change management piece. Yeah. And I, yeah. there'll be endless books and talks and seminars and yeah. stuff about that. So, I mean, when I'm thirty in thirty years, I'll be, I'll be sixty. So maybe I'll be retired by then. <laughs> if this is quite thing maybe goes really everyone, well, yeah. everyone will be retired. Maybe, by then. Yeah. <laughs> you might have actually killed the planet by that point. So, um, so uh, yeah. So I, I think I think. That kind of thematic look is, is really quite interesting. And um, if I uh, was a mega millionaire, then I'd probably spend all my time just sitting looking at that and kind of nerding out on all this kind of stuff and what that right. looks like and, right. um, and where that could be. But I think I'll leave that research to the... Can you apply to universities for the grant and have the money to do it? It's like, great. It's fun, though. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I just love where it's going. I love your passion for people. And it's, it's clear, like right across this table and um, just uh, let us know where people can connect with you and what's going to come up with that how do people link in with who you are and what you do totally yeah you can um, hit me up on, on Instagram yes yeah. just uh, at you and Gordon you're or the at you and Gordon I'm the at you and Gordon huge spelt with a U not a W yeah. um, and then uh, LinkedIn is also really great to get me just yeah. um, track me down you and Gordon um, and I think they, I'm not huge on Twitter but I should probably start to get into that sphere so um, I think that's at you and Gordon as well. So okay. <laughs> hit me up. Quite the <laughs> Amazing, you and Gordon. Thanks so much. Thanks, Mark. Thank you so much for checking out this week's episode, episode three with you and Gordon. We want to do a whole bunch more of this, and it would mean a lot to me if you'd be up for leaving us a review, subscribing on your podcast app, and sharing the show. We want your feedback, we want to know what kind of things you want to hear, who you'd like us to interview. So thank you for joining us on the journey. The music was crafted by Sam Gallagher. The imagery is from Melody Joy Cole, and we recorded it in Edinburgh, Scotland. 